there's a tremendous amount of emphasis put on the new birth experience. And uh, a lot of churches don't make reference to it very often, but we make a lot of reference to the fact that a person needs to understand the need to repent of their sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, baptized in water, and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the biblical evidence of speaking in tongues. And we put tremendous emphasis on this for a reason, because that's the, that's the way in. That's the starting point. And um, because there are many churches full of individuals that are doing their best and pastors even that are speaking from all the information and knowledge and experience that they have that have not experienced the new birth experience and they're endeavoring to uh, encourage people to live a godly lifestyle, to obey Christian principles. And uh, obviously this is admirable and uh, uh, it's certainly preferable to someone standing and promoting um, a godless lifestyle. Uh, however, it puts people in a, a frustrating position of not having the Spirit's power and not being able to walk in the Spirit and have life in the Spirit because they've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or haven't even heard that it's available to them. Or they were told, yeah, you got the Holy Ghost. You have, you're, you're born of the Spirit just because you're, you believed in Jesus Christ or you shook the preacher's hand or you signed the card to join the church. Then you're automatically born of the Spirit, if you say the sinner's prayer and repeat after me, and uh, God, I acknowledge you as Savior of my life, and uh, uh, I ask you to forgive me, then you're, you're uh, born again. And, but the people have not experienced the biblical new birth experience, and so they're trying to live a life and read a manual that has nothing to do with what they're doing, because they're not born of the Spirit. And so that's what creates um, these false doctrines that are very prevalent in Christianity today that takes the emphasis off of a change of lifestyle and essentially says you're okay like you are with your same practices and habits and conduct. Uh, uh, just put your faith in Jesus Christ and it really doesn't matter how you live. The reason they have to do this is because it's impossible to live a godly life, a, a life that is pleasing to God without the Holy Spirit. And so uh, tonight I want to uh, go from the new birth experience and talk about something very important to you folks because you have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or if you haven't, you're seeking that experience. Or uh, if you're visiting with us, you're going to want that experience when we get finished. But uh, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, obeying the gospel plan of repentance, water baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit is the open gate into life in the spirit and that's what this is about that's what we're here for not just to have great experiences where we feel goosebumps and we speak in tongues and we fall out under the power of god and we get up and so overjoyed like we had this great high better than any drug can give that's not uh, uh what christianity is all about that's wonderful and we enjoy those experiences but living for god is about learning how to walk in the spirit and live in the spirit and i want to uh talk to you tonight about life in the spirit um and we're going to do that from romans chapters one through eight now as we get into the book of romans what i'm going to do is i'm going to read and have you follow along i'm going to read from the new living translation uh Three or four verses from each chapter that kind of sum up the chapter, in my opinion, or at least what I, I believe the doctrinal statement is here. Now, I hope you understand that as the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, he is writing to uh, believers, to people who understand the gospel plan, who understand that they are to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they're to experience this. And so uh, you must understand that uh, this uh, uh, is... is uh, written to believers. And the book of Romans is so very important because it lays out very systematically New Testament uh, doctrine. New Testament, uh, this is how you live for God. This is how you serve God. This is the experience that you have. This is uh, the teaching of the New Testament church very systematically. It's really awesome. It's important uh, because in the Old Testament, Moses lays out the law uh, which was the foundation for the children of Israel. But the New Testament church, which involves you, this is kind of a systematic uh, uh, presentation of all the understanding that you need. Once you're filled with the Spirit, this is to let you know some important things about living for God. And uh, you cannot just 
jump into Romans without a little bit of context, first of all, uh, is a context of who the author is. You must understand that this was written by the Apostle Paul. And so as you read through the pages of the book of Romans, you must understand that this is the man who is very spiritually disciplined. This is a man who says, I die every day. I understand the importance of living for God and dying out to the flesh. Also a very spiritual man, because the Bible says uh, that Paul indicated, I speak in tongues more than any of you all. In other words, he says, I pray in the Spirit almost continuously. So he's a very connected man spiritually. He's a, a, a very disciplined person, but also he's very knowledgeable in Scripture, in Old Testament and New Testament, because of his foundation uh, in, uh, uh, in Old Testament teaching as a very devout Jew. So the Apostle Paul, a very uh, devout Jew, a follower of the law, and a student of the law before he was transformed by God's power. Many of you know the story of the road to Damascus where Paul's attention was caught by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was a persecutor of Christians, but God transformed him through this encounter uh, with Jesus Christ. But the context of Romans, first of all, as you read through the pages, Paul is systematically laying out uh, the doctrine of the New Testament church, but you must understand this is not coming from uh, just some statistician somewhere or some uh, uh, philosopher or some uh, person who just is sitting up on a perch and writing his thoughts. This is coming from a man who is very spiritual and very anointed and led by God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter number 1. Uh, and uh, as I said, from each chapter, we're going to lay a little foundation of Scripture and for the next uh, 20 minutes, we're going to go through chapters 1 through 8, and then I'm going to make some brief comments at the end about life in the Spirit. This is a foundation, in, and I'm telling you right now, if you're really interested in being successful in, number one, understanding what life in Jesus Christ is in a New Testament church, and number two, being successful. It's one thing to understand something, but it's, no, it's a completely different thing to actually be successful at doing it. If, if that's your desire, I want you to listen closely for the next few moments as we come to understand this foundational systematic theology. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, first of all, the first 16 verses, 15 verses of Romans is just Paul's salutation or greeting to the church in Rome. But in verse 18, he begins his doctrinal foundation. Verse 18 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people, who push the truth away from themselves. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. The first thing that the Apostle Paul does as he's writing the book of Romans is to indicate that God has equipped every person with a certain amount of knowledge about God. Regardless of their culture or background, there is something inside of them we call it maybe the conscience. And creation speaks to their conscience that there is a God and that there is right and wrong and that there is moral choices to be made. And you can make the right decision and please the higher power or make the wrong decision and displease the higher power. The Bible says God shows his anger against sinful and wicked people who know this and have a conscience and understand morality because God revealed it to them. God put this knowledge in their heart and instinctively through creation and through their conscience, they understand that there's right and wrong and there's things that they do that are evil and, and things that they do that are right. But God's wrath is against them. Uh, and as you read uh, through the rest of chapter 1, you, re you realize that what happened is because men chose not to believe and obey and submit to, to this higher power, which we know as Jehovah or God, and manifest in the New Testament as Jesus Christ, the one God, the creator of all the world, as they reject conscience and morality, God allows them to continue in their sinful ways until no longer do they hear the voice of their conscience and no longer do they feel the guilt for their behavior. And in verse 28, it kind of sums it up there. When they refuse to acknowledge God, finally, he abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. So it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a negative, like a declining process for people. Is for, and, and it's talking about just like humankind. And people who get in, involved in perversion, in depravity, and uh, uh, do horrific things with, their, with the instruments of their body and to themselves, 
that were never intended to, to be done. Finally, they've reached a point where God just releases them, essentially. And no longer is their conscience speaking to them. And no longer does God deal with them. It's just a release. And they do the things that should never be done. And so, from Romans chapter 1, we get a summing up of the fact that there is a universal knowledge of God and a universal sense of conscience, but that that conscience can be seared, in effect, to where a person no longer is affected by it, and God essentially is letting go and letting them do those things that they want to do and uh, uh, things that should never be done. And uh, he is abandoning them to their evil minds and their evil desires. That's kind of the summation of the first part of Romans is that basically uh, there is this sinful nature, but there's a knowledge of God. But finally, sinful nature uh, overpowers it, and then there's no telling how far down people will go. Romans chapter 2. You stay with me. Verse 4. The Lord says, Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? He, he starts uh, the Romans chapter 2 talking to the church and more specifically to uh, Jewish or Hebrew believers who are so careful to judge other people. And he says, here you are judging these people for their sinful ways, but you still got sinful ways yourself. And you should realize that God is kind and tolerant and patient with you. And you should recognize how he's given you time to turn from your sins. Verse 23 uh, is another verse that helps sum up this chapter. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. And then if you jump back up to verse 13 of chapter 2, it says, For it is not merely knowing the law that brings God's approval. Those who obey the law will be declared right in God's sight. So chapter 2, basically, let me sum it up for you. It's talking about people who know the law, who understand what's right and wrong, and they kind of feel maybe a little bit proud of their knowledge. Maybe it's the Hebrew people who understand real specifically the Old Testament law. And uh, uh, the writer here, uh, Paul, is saying, you know, your knowledge of the law, you're puffed up about how much you know. It really doesn't matter how much you know. It matters how much you obey because just knowledge of the law does not help you. And uh, just because and sometimes uh, we're guilty of this. We look down on people because they don't have a doctrinal understanding of, of who Jesus is. And we're guilty of kind of like, you know, looking down our nose at them. And the reality is it doesn't matter how much you know. It matters how much you do. I, I like this. I heard this one time. You really only believe the part of the Bible that you do. The rest of it you don't believe. And then uh, uh, Romans chapter 2.29, to sum up chapter 2, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not a cutting of the body, but a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. So in, in reference to the Hebrew people here, said just because you know the law and you're connected by family to this tradition, that doesn't do you any good. And see, this is a message that has to be preached in a Pentecostal church where there's second and third generation believers in the house. And that is that just because you were raised in church, and it doesn't do anything for you. Somewhere along the way, amen, we'll say, well, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm an apostolic. What do you mean? What does that mean? And we, we understand, uh, you know, what the, these words of reference mean. But the point is, is your heart right with God? Have you had an encounter with God where he changes you and his spirit works inside of your life? So chapter 2 basically is don't be proud of what you know or your family tradition or, or your connection to the church or to truth or an understanding of truth. Because uh, uh, there's a lot of people in the world that know a whole lot about the Bible and don't do much with it. And there's still sin in their life. And that's where the Bible is speaking here. Now, Romans chapter 3, you follow along? Did you know you'd get through Romans 1 through 8 in 20 minutes? I'm summing it up for you. Chapter 3, verse number 21. We're going to read three verses here. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight. Not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scripture long ago. 
We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, here's the deal. When you're reading through Romans in the New Living Translation, when you actually can understand what you're reading, if you don't understand the doctrine of justification by faith, you may get the impression that the Apostle Paul is confused. On the one hand, this is the case. But then on the other hand, this argument looks good. But then on the other hand, if you don't understand the doctrine of justification by faith, I promise you, as you if you read through Romans chapter 1 through 8 from a, a version of Scripture that you can read, it, it appears as if the Apostle Paul is undecided on whether the law matters or not and undecided as to whether a person's conduct matters or not. But if you understand the principle that he's communicating, and that's what I want to help you with, you understand that he is balancing very important principles of Scripture. And balance is so important in New Testament life in the Spirit. Amen? Balance is incredibly important in uh, New Testament understanding of life in the, in, in, in the Spirit. But uh, he's saying here, that God is showing us a different way that we are made right in God's sight or we are justified. And it's not by obeying the law that we are made right in God's sight, uh, but we are made right in God's sight by trusting the Lord, putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, uh, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Nobody's good enough. Nobody can obey the law enough, so this new plan is awesome. The new plan is we don't work for our salvation. We don't earn it. We are not good enough. We don't behave our way to heaven. But that God's Spirit and, and, and uh, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and it talks here about the blood of Jesus, is what purchased our salvation. And we've fallen short of God's glory and will never, nobody could ever measure up through their power and their strength and their efforts to do good. And so the new plan is better. And then verse chapter 3, verse 27. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on good deeds. It is based on our faith. So here's the principle. You are forgiven of your sins. Not because you became a good person. But you are forgiven of your sin because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And the Apostle Paul is having to speak to Jewish believers who are very strict with observance of the law because in their mind, this is how you're saved. The Apostle Paul is saying, no. If this is how you're saved, then Jesus' death was a waste of time and energy and blood and pain. But you're saved by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course we know when you put your faith in Jesus. You're going to obey the plan of salvation. Because faith without obedience is not faith. It's just affirmation. But uh, 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 So believing in the Lord. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Is what takes care of your sin problem. So you can't boast that. Boy I fasted for four days. And I read my Bible. And I um, got baptized seven times. By seven different great great preachers. And uh, you can't boast of anything that you did to be accepted by God because our acquittal is not based on deeds. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God, verse 28, through faith and not by obeying the law. Here's the point. You are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. You are not made right with God by obeying laws. Everybody with me? This is a biblical doctrine. And you may be nervous, but I'm not the least bit nervous. Because uh, what you see is Paul is in a balancing act here. There are people who believe that their works are saving them, and Paul is just smacking that real hard. In a moment, he's going to turn around to those who think that since they're not saved by the law, that they should go ahead and do whatever they want to. And he's going to smack them just as hard. Because serving God is about understanding and having the right motives for what you do. Are you listening to me right now? My, my lifestyle, my conduct, the transformation that happens in my life 
If I'm doing it to miss hell, I'm never going to grow spiritually. That's why I can look the part and do all the things I'm supposed to do and not do all the things I'm not supposed to and still be a spiritual pygmy. Still have a lot of filth on the inside and problems and issues. Because I can't grow spiritually by obeying laws. And I can't grow spiritually with the wrong motive. Amen? And uh, uh, because, and, and it just, you know, not to mention the fact that if I am thinking that I'm actually earning my salvation, then that is absolutely negating what Jesus did for me. And so I'm saved by what Jesus Christ did. Does that mean my life will not be changed? Does that mean my conduct should not be that which pleases God? We're going to see that the Apostle Paul sets that straight. This is a very godly man, a disciplined man, a righteous person. And he sets that straight. But what you've got to understand, this is important for all Christians to understand, is our good works have to be for the right motive. To become what God wants us to be. To please the Lord because we love Jesus. Not to try to miss hell. All right? Verse 31 of Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is going to start bringing the balance back. Are you ready? It says, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, gets this, only when we have faith can we truly fulfill the law. So let, let's just forget about the word law and let's talk righteousness. Okay? That's something you can understand, isn't it? Since we're saved by faith, do we forget about righteousness? Of course not. The reality is only when you learn the proper motive in living for God and learn how to live in faith can you truly become righteous. Amen? Amen. Through the power of the Spirit. Uh, And then we'll jump to uh, chapter number 4. Chapter number 4. We're going to sum up chapter 4 real quick. Verse number 22 says... In the, chapter 4 talks about Abraham. It says, And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. And, uh, and, and let's look at verse 13. Jump back to verse 13 of chapter 4. It is clear then that God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience to God's law. God didn't give Abraham the promise because he obeyed the law. But what was it based on? On the new relationship with God that comes by faith. How how do you know that? Well, because the law had not been given yet. And Abraham was called righteous. And there were things that would be in the law and and, and uh, the law was coming later. Abraham didn't know the law. So it wasn't through obeying the law that he was made righteous. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. His faith in God was his key to righteousness, not his obedience to the law. And that's the point of chapter 4. Is If you go back, if you go retrospective in Scripture... Abraham was called righteous before there was a law. So obedience to the law was not his key to righteousness and pleasing God. Verse 14, so if you claim that God's promise is for those who obey God's law and think they're good enough in God's sight, then you are saying that faith is useless. And in that case, the promise is also meaningless. If you say that that, uh, God's promises are only for those are for those who obey God's law are good enough, then you are saying that faith is useless and you're negating the importance of faith. So chapter 4, just summed up real easily for you, is Abraham was uh, a, uh, a man who pleased God, got God's favor, received all these promises in his life, and was a man of faith. The Bible says he, he believed God even when his wife couldn't have a child and, and, and the promise of the angel came and, and uh, he was uh, uh, believed in God and, and believed that God's promise would be performed his faith was counted as righteousness and so the point here is that faith 
is significant and important. So let's look at verse uh, chapter number 5. The doctrine of chapter number 5. And understand we're summing up. What do we actually believe? What does the New Testament church believe? What, how do they get saved? What, what saves them? What gives them their power? Verse, tw- uh, verse 12 of chapter 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Chapter 5 tells us about the universal sinful nature. That human beings are all depraved. We're all born with a sinful nature and we have a tendency to sin because of Adam's sin. Everybody understand? Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 5 says, When we were utterly hopeless or helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And, and it was while we were sinners that Christ died for us, that, that the sacrifice that Jesus made for us was not based on our good works. Think about that. Jesus didn't die for you because you were a good person. Jesus died for you while you were a sinner. And since he died for your salvation, that means his, our salvation is not based on our good works. It's based on God's love. Everybody got this point? Our salvation is not based on our good works. Our salvation is based on God's love. And the fact that he was willing to take on flesh, the fact that he was willing to go to the cross, the fact that he was willing to be stripped naked in front of a crowd, beaten until blood ran down the cross, and experience every painful element of the cross, that's why we're saved. And he did it while we were sinners. Think about that. A lot of times if somebody's good... Somebody might be willing to sacrifice. But Jesus died for us while we were sinners. So that means his act of saving us was not based on our good works. It was done while we were sinners. It was based on his love. Understand that I did not earn my salvation, neither did you. God saved you because he loved you. And because all you did was turn back and say, I believe, Lord, you can save me. I believe you can take away my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I believe the waters of baptism are going to wash my sins away. It doesn't make sense to me because you're not even going to use soap in there. You're not even going to clean the outside. How can it get on the inside? I don't drink of it, any of it in. How can it cleanse me? It doesn't make sense, but it's faith in Jesus Christ and faith and obedience to God's process and plan. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, believing. That you're cleansed through the Spirit. Amen. And uh, then uh, in verse 15 of Romans chapter 5, it says, And what a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, and it takes, talks about the first, first man, Adam, and the second man, Jesus Christ. This one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin, because the wages of sin is death. Adam's sin brought death to all of humanity. But this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. So the point of Romans chapter 5 is, what Adam got you into, Jesus can get you out of. Romans chapter 6, very, very important chapter in life in the Spirit, about life in the Spirit. Verse 1, well then... And we're going to balance it back again. Are you, are you ready? We're kind of riding the rocker with Paul. Somebody's like, Paul, are you confused? Do you really know what you believe? On the one hand, you're saying the law doesn't matter. On the other hand, you say it does matter. On the one hand, you say we're, we're not saved by righteousness. But on the other hand, you talk about how important righteousness is and people that are unrighteous aren't going to heaven. So I'm here trying to ride this horse here and figure out, Paul, what are you saying? He's talking about justification by faith. And that is, real, real clearly, real plainly, is that you're not saved by works. You're saved by what Jesus did. But when you learn, when you're filled with the Spirit, you begin to walk in the Spirit. Amen? And it transforms your life. And so righteous works are the product of it. And if somebody's living an unrighteous life, they're obviously not walking in the Spirit. Amen? So, so my conduct is not the source of my salvation. It's the product of my salvation. Did you hear that? Uh, Romans 6.1, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Let's show off God's grace. Let's just get really crazy. Hey, look, God's still forgiving me. Look at all these, this stuff I'm doing. Of course not. The reason is we have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? He's saying here, when you experience the new birth, the new birth is about dying to sin. You can't have new birth until there's a death. He said, you died out to sin. How can you continue living in sin? 
and uh, then in verse 4, we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. That's where we get buried, in baptism. This is why it's a part of the gospel. That's why Jesus said you've got to be born of the water. Amen. That's why we among are some of the very few churches, very few churches that say baptism is a part of salvation. But I'll stand right here and say it. Baptism is a part of salvation. We were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We died at repentance and baptism. But new life is God's plan and promise and purpose for our life. Verse 6. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So Paul is not saying that righteous works don't matter. Paul is saying righteous works are a product of the new birth experience and learning to walk in the Spirit. This is God's plan for your life. But never, ever, never, ever, ever get the idea that your conduct is what's saving you. Jesus is saving you. The blood of Jesus is what's saving you. I'm trying to get down to motives here because if you're doing what you're doing just to miss hell, you got the wrong motives and you're not going to grow spiritually. You've got to do this because you're alive in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is, is, is blowing in your life and the anointing of God, and you're learning to walk in the Spirit. You're learning to feast on the Word of God and commune with the Lord and grow spiritually. And all of a sudden it produces changes in your life because you have a passion to become everything God wants you to be, not because you want to miss hell. Uh, verse 18, chapter 6. Now you are free from sin, your old master. And you have become slaves to your new master. Righteousness. Are you with me? Now you are free of your old master. What was your master? Was it alcoholism? Was it drug addiction? Was it greed? What was your master? We could go down the list of all the sinful things that had control of people's lives. But you have become slaves to your new master, which my master now is righteousness. I gotta make righteousness happy. I gotta please righteousness. It's my new master. Verse 22. But now you are free from the power of sin and become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the only way I can have eternal life is I get, if I get free from that old master of sin and begin to serve the new master, which is righteousness and which is God. So the point is why, why, why I believe why Paul is making such a strong point of letting people understand that they are not saved by works or conduct is because he wants them living for God with the right motive. And I want you living for God with the right motive. Because if you've got the wrong motive, you'll never grow spiritually and you'll never become what God wants you to be. A person who's living for God just to miss hell does not grow spiritually. They have a misconception that is, that is uh, destructive to their spiritual life, life in the spirit. So get that concept. Verse chapter 7, uh, verse 5. When we were controlled by our old nature, our sinful nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced sinful deeds, resulting in death. Verse 6, but now we've been released from the law, for we died with Christ, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way by the Spirit. See, before I was born of the Spirit, I was subject to sin, but I was also subject to the law. And the law didn't give me any, any, didn't help me any. Without the Spirit, the law kills. Are you with me? Without the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your life, an understanding of righteousness does you no good. That's why preachers who do not believe in the Holy Ghost do not preach righteousness. Because it cannot be produced. It only produces frustration. If a, if a church that does not believe in the baptism of the Spirit preaches righteousness, all it does is produce frustration, anger, and guilt. 
because until you're born again, the law is your enemy. But when you're born again, the old nature dies. And the law's influence over you, negative influence over you, dies as well. And all of a sudden, it's a whole new ball game. And righteousness is a product in your life, not because you're trying to do right. But righteousness is a product in your life because you love Jesus and you're walking in the Spirit and things are changed. I, mean, I feel the Holy Ghost right here, right now. Verse number 9 of chapter 7. I felt fine when I did not understand what the law demanded. But when I learned the truth, I realized I had broken the law and was a sinner doomed to die. So the good law, which was supposed to show me the way of life, instead gave me the death penalty. Preaching of righteousness does not help unless someone has the power of the Holy Ghost. And then righteousness is a motivating factor. It's an exciting factor. It's something that stirs us and moves within us. Verse 14, the law is good then. The trouble's not with the law but with me because I'm sold into slavery with sin as my master. And so the law is my enemy. And Paul's not talking about his current condition here. If you read the context of Scripture, he's talking about before the Holy Spirit came in. I was trying to obey the law. Remember who the writer was, the Apostle Paul? I was taking care of every little thing on the law. I was more, more focused on this than probably anybody. And you can tell by Paul's personality, he was telling the truth. He was like an all or nothing type of person. Bro, I, I, I was eating the law up, but it was killing me because I knew what was right. I wanted to do what was right, and I ended up doing what was wrong. And the law was condemning me. And I felt bad all the time. But you know what? He said, something happened. Something was changed when I experienced God, when I found out how to come alive in the Spirit and to walk after the Spirit. It's a total different ball game now. I'm not letting the law make me feel guilty. Amen. You know what I'm doing? I'm walking in the Spirit, and now I'm fulfilling the law through the power of the Spirit. The only way I can do that, though, is to understand that I'm not saved by obeying the law. But I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. And then the power of the Spirit enables me to live righteous and holy. Enables me to be separate and distinct from this world. Enables me to be an example and a mature Christian and a growing Christian. Life Church, we've we got to be growing together. We don't need no 83-pound babies. We've got to be growing. We've got to be developing. We've got to be becoming what God wants us to be. But you can't become what God wants you to be if you're obeying the law to be saved. You can only become what God wants you to be when you accept the free gift of salvation and then begin to walk in the Spirit. Learn how to read your Bible and pray. Amen. Submit yourself to the Word of God and let the Spirit of God begin to transform you. See, hey, hey, you know what? When I do what I do, I don't do it just to miss heaven or to please somebody. But God, help me do everything I do to please God and to become what God wants me to be. Hallelujah. Verse 18. I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I cannot make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? Our people don't receive the Holy Ghost. The more I teach, the worse they get. So what do I do? I create a doctrine that says, well, God saved you by his blood, and so it doesn't matter how you act. And I license people's conduct. And I have a church that's no different from the world. That's why spirit-filled churches are no different from the world in many ways. Non-spirit-filled churches. I hope you understand what I meant there. Non-spirit-filled churches. Nice people, good folks, tax-paying folk. But they'll do all the same things. All, all the same conduct. All the same lifestyle choices. Verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. He's talking about pre-conversion here. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? I know the law. I want to do right. I can't. I try. I try to do good. I end up doing bad. Ah! 
I'm going crazy. I'm pulling my hair out. Who's going to liberate me from this? Who's going to do it? The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 25, thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. He's just given us a, a synopsis of the whole Old Testament. Everybody knows the law, but they're not doing it. Everybody knows what's right, but rather than the law bringing producing righteousness, it's producing guilt and condemnation and issues in people's lives. But he said, here's the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ is going to take care of your problem. His blood is going to take care of your sin, and you're going to be forgiven from your sins. And then he's going to give you his spirit. He's going to write his law in your heart. And now all of a sudden, it's not just obeying some law, but it's the spirit of God that has transformed your heart. It's changed your desires. It's changed your whole emotions. It's changed everything about you. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8. We're finally to the end here. Chapter 8, verse 1. So now there's no condemnation. That means I don't walk around guilty. For those who belong to Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, it says, for the power of the life-giving Spirit. Everybody say life-giving Spirit. I like that. The power of the life-giving Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. You're not subject to sin anymore. You're not under the power of sin anymore. You're dead to sin through the power of Jesus Christ and through the power of His Spirit. Verse 3, the law of Moses couldn't save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except ours is sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Did you read that? The requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead our spiritual nature. And, and, and what's the King James Version there? Uh, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. They don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh anymore because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. See, your thinking, what you're thinking about is, a pro, is an indicator of whether you are walking in the Spirit or whether you're walking after the flesh. Because after you're born again, you still have to choose. I'm going to live in the Spirit. I'm going to live in the Spirit. And so you don't have to just say, oh, I can't think about that. I've got to control my thoughts. I've got to manipulate my mind. No. Get in the Word of God. Start praying, and it will change your thoughts. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you won't be involved in sin. If you're, verse 6, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there's death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Do you realize you could not live above sin without the Holy Ghost? Do you realize you'd live a life of condemnation and guilt without the power of the Holy Ghost? But the Spirit of God is what gives you power. It, it's an understanding I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, so I don't have to worry about my salvation. I just need to walk in the Spirit to, and learn how to please God and be filled with God's love. In verse 12, So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You don't have to be a sinner anymore. You're no longer obligated to be forced by your sinful nature to do things you don't want to do. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. Oh, okay. So it does matter. <laughs> if I keep walking after the flesh and my sinful nature, it'll destroy me because the wages of sin is death. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. Amen? Hallelujah. So life in the Spirit is important. I got some Holy Ghost filled people. I got some people that understand the gospel doctrine, and you're sitting there thinking you're all right, but, but, but don't sit and judge somebody else because of what they don't understand and what they don't believe if it hasn't changed your life. If you're not walking in the Spirit, don't sit there and, and look down on somebody else who doesn't have some knowledge that you have. 
because it's got to be bringing about and producing a change and a transformation in your life. I don't care how long you spoke in tongues. If you spoke in tongues all night when you got the Holy Ghost and you got up and you had a halo over your head, you were walking three inches off the ground and, and, uh, and uh, you just felt like a, a God incarnate. You felt like an angel. You reached back and there were wings sprouting. I don't care what kind of an experience that you had with God. Somewhere along the way, you got to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Amen. Some, somewhere along the way, I've got to realize that just being called a pastor and just being uh, spirit-filled or saying I have the Holy Ghost or coming and doing my shikamashai on Sunday is not going to take care of it. I've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. Uh, amen. To have the thought, the mind of the Spirit, uh, to let the Holy Ghost control me. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 So the final four points. Four points. Number one, life in the Spirit or spiritual growth requires new birth. Hopefully I've made that point to you. In Romans chapter 8, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And and you have to be led of the spirit if you're a son of God. So the Bible says many are led by the spirit of God. They are the sons of God. So uh, you can't understand these principles and they won't work in your life if you're not born again. That's why at Life Church we talk a lot about the new birth experience. Because somebody may not understand all this, the ins and the outs and the nuances, but when the Spirit comes in, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to look like that anymore. Everything begins to change in their life. Everything begins to be transformed by the power of the Spirit, and God begins to bring it into their life. They're like, thank you, Jesus. I don't know what happened, but I know I was a drug addict when I walked in. But when I walked out, I was delivered by the power. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Ghost that can transform somebody. So you can't have life in the Spirit without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's a frustrating thing to talk about righteousness and transformation, how God can give you if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you begin to feel it happen. It's Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. The change is profound. It's like, wow, how did this happen? But it's the power of the Spirit and then learning to walk in the Spirit. It's pretty easy. A newborn Christian, they just want to read the Bible all the time. They love to pray. They love to be around other Christians. And, uh, and, and it's just like, but, but you know what? And, and here's the next point. Living in Christ, and when you've been living for a while for the Lord, life in Christ or spiritual growth, Number one, requires new birth experience. Number two, it requires discipline. 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 That means praying when you don't feel like praying. Why? Because you know the product of your prayer is going to be a transformation in you. Not so you miss hell. Discipline. You, you can't grow spiritually without creating these disciplines in your life of, of, of prayer and, and reading and studying Scripture. I want to challenge you, saints. Get in the Word of God. Get in the Word of God. Find a place of prayer. Not so you go on a guilt trip. See, that's the problem. That's why you don't pray is because you get guilty when you don't pray because it becomes like a law to you. It's not about a law. That's the wrong motive. Disciplines with the wrong motive don't work. You know what? Disciplines. Let's say disciplines of, of uh, physical exercise or a diet. Let's say a diet. A diet doesn't work if you're just going on a diet because you feel guilty. What happens? You end up emotionally eating and going the other direction. Am I not telling you the truth? The only way that discipline, for instance, diet works is when the motive is right and the motive being, I want to see a change in me. I have a vision of what I could be. And so I'm applying these disciplines. You can't force disciplines on somebody like that when they don't have the proper motive and the proper desire. Ooh, I can't eat this. Uh, It's fattening, and I'll get a spanking if I eat it. I mean, that's going to produce sneaks that go around doing things behind your back. But it's when somebody gets it in their heart, and their motive is, I want to do that. I want to accomplish that. Then the disciplines come into place. And they don't eat the donuts, and they eat the celery sticks, and they do these things because they have a vision. And their motive is right. Their motive is not to escape judgment or to escape condemnation or to escape guilt feelings. The only motive that produces discipline that will work is the right motive. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me on the way here. And I had a dry Bible study, and the Holy Ghost was 
dumped on me in the car and I started weeping. And the Spirit of the Lord said, you know what the problem is? People are trying to do the disciplines for the wrong reason. And when you're doing the disciplines for the wrong reason, it doesn't work in your life. And you can't get them in your life. We don't pray to miss hell. We don't pray to get out of a guilt trip. But we pray because we're looking down the road and we say, there's somewhere I want to go. And there's somebody I want to be. I see that svelte, 170 pound, in good shape. Whatever the discipline is, whether it's, if it's studying and going through college. I, I've never seen anybody yet who just all of a sudden wake up one day and said, wow, check it out. I never meant to do this, but I got a master's degree. Somebody had a goal. Somebody looked and saw themselves walking down that aisle and taking that diploma and getting the good job. And that's why they submitted themselves to the disciplines. It's not because somebody put them on a guilt trip. Why aren't you going to school? How come you're not studying? You know, that's the problem. That's why young people have a hard time because the motivation is wrong. Hey, do your homework. I'm going to beat your tail. And they're sneaking around getting people to copy it. But when the motive gets right, and that is a vision of what they can be, and it becomes what they want to be, then the disciplines are integrated into their life. You need to work out. I'm going to come by every day and make sure you're working out. And I'm going to, I'm going to get after you. And well, well, thanks. I appreciate it. But I don't want to work out. I have no desire to do that. I'm going to make you anyway. It doesn't work. But when somebody gets it in their heart that I can see what I can be if I will work out. I don't think there's a single person over there at the, at the Y running or over there at 24-hour fitness running on those stupid things going nowhere. That's like... Well, I just have to be here. Wife told me got to come over here. No, everybody that's over there, pretty much everybody's like, I can see myself five pounds lighter. I can see my 34-inch pants fitting back on me. I can see my thin face again. Ooh, I can see the girlies looking my direction. And the disciplines are executed in their life because their motive is right. The wrong motives won't produce discipline. But the right motives will produce discipline. See, the Bible says God's purpose in your life is that you would become like Him. And somewhere along the way, He said, I want to be the firstborn among many brethren. And He's saying, your passion, your life's desire should be, God's got something special for me. God's got a ministry. God's got an anointing. God's got power for my life. And there's some place I'm going. And as a result of that, I realize I can't get there without prayer. And I can't get there without fasting. And I can't get there without denying my flesh. And I can't get there if I'm going to stay involved in this sin. And I can't get there if I keep uh, letting this uh, produce uh, all kind of vile things in my life. Somewhere along the way, i got to apply some discipline. See, discipline requires doing some things and not doing some other things. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, there's somebody that you need to hear the word of the Lord. If you'll get your focus right, if you'll get your motives right, you'll begin to have discipline in your life. And you begin to look at what God has for you. Wow. And you begin to say, that's where I want to go. And I can't get there by faking it. I can't get there by coming to church Sunday morning dusting off the filth of my lifestyle and coming into church looking all fancy and doing my little dance and saying my few word of tongues and coming to church on Wednesday night if I feel like it, if everything works out just perfectly, I might show up and you better be glad I'm there. That's not the kind of attitude, amen? That's not the kind of spirit of somebody. It's somebody who's got their eyes on the prize. Say, God, amen. Hallelujah. Some time ago, I begin to pray, and, and I, I, I want to bring it back into my life. And every time I prayed, I said, God, I see these men who are great men of God. I see these men who have integrity. I see these men who have purity. I see these men in my life that I know that have power with God. That people know they're a man of faith. And people know that they are a man of power. And I said, God, if there's any way, I want that to happen in my life. And I've begun to realize that the only way that can happen, the only way I can become what Jesus wants me to be, the only way I can execute God's plan in my life, which is for me to become like Jesus, is for me to execute disciplines in my life. Hallelujah. Say, I'm not doing this. 
but I'm doing that because God's got a plan for my life. There's an anointing. There's a supernatural ministry that's coming to me, not just because I was uniquely gifted as a child, but because God said, I'm going to do it to you. You're going to become something you never could be without the power of my spirit. And everybody's going to look at that person and shake their head and say, what a man of God. Look what God did. What a lady of faith. Look what God has done in her life. Amen. And living for God and prayer becomes so much easier and more effortless when we realize this is a part of my goal of becoming what Jesus wants me to be and because I love him and because it's in my heart nobody's forcing me whether in the church or in the Bible or in the law uh -uh. I'm saved because Jesus loved me and now I'm growing spiritually because I'm going somewhere ultimately I'm going to heaven let's stand together hallelujah 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 See, it's not just about you and me, it's about life church. It's not just about life church, but it's about our community. See, I, I see through the eyes of faith a great church. And I see through the eyes of of faith, a church that is so powerful that when people walk through the doors, they feel the power of God's presence. The shackles of sin begin to fall off. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me today. He said, you've been having a good time over there. Things are really grooving. Things are really rolling. But you're on my extended mercy right now because the source of your power is prayer. The source of your power is connection with Jesus Christ. And the only way you can have the kind of church that you dream of is somewhere along the way the people got to get their motives toward. God, we want a powerful church. We want, a, we want a, an awesome church. We want a city-changing church. I'm not talking about changing a few people in the city. I'm talking about changing the whole city. I want that kind of church, and I can envision that kind of church, but the Spirit of the Lord is letting me know, amen, that somewhere on the inside we've got to realize we can't hype it up. We can't build enough buildings. We can't come up with enough programs to have the power of God in our midst. We can't have good enough music to have the power of God. Somewhere along the way, some people got to learn that their connection with God and their relationship with God and their walk with God and their spiritual disciplines have got to become a core element of the church. See, when our prayer service has an eighth of the people in our Sunday service, it worries me. It worries me and it lets me know, you know what, somewhere along the way, we've got to understand that our power does not come from our punch, but our power comes from our prayer <laughs> and our relationship with God. I'm not putting you on a guilt trip. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm wanting you to realize that this is how we get there. <laughs> I'm not making you feel bad, but I want to paint a picture for you of what it can be. But let you know, you don't just end up there one day. you got to have a goal. you got to have objectives and realize that the disciplines of prayer and fasting and faith and powerful moves of God is what takes the church where God wants it to go. Hallelujah. I want you to connect with somebody all over this church right now. We're going to pray for a few moments because I want God to speak to us right now. In the name of Jesus. God, I'm standing before you right now. And you know what? I haven't been praying like I should. But you know what's weird? I don't feel guilty about it. But I feel disappointed. Because I'm not making the progress that I should be making. And God, I realize that if this is the way I feel, then maybe my motives are getting in the right place. That, God, I don't pray to, to, to miss a guilt trip. I don't pray to miss hell. But what I'm praying for is because there's power on the other side of my prayer. There's anointing. There's virtue. There's freedom from sin. There's deliverance from my temptation. Come on, let that, let that prayer come out of your spirit right now. Let that praise to God come out. Hallelujah. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Ghost, I command you to be loosed. I command you to be set free. I command you to be set free from guilt. I command you to be set free from condemnation. I command you to be set free from temptation. I command you to be delivered from the oppressive spirit of the enemy that has come and told you that your conduct has somehow put you on God's bad list. I'm telling you right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for a fresh vision, a fresh understanding, a a, a fresh change of concept to happen in the minds of saints of God right now, that somewhere along the way, hallelujah, we're not running because somebody's got a whip after us, but we're running because we want to win the prize, because we want to finish the race, because we want God's will to be done in our life. Oh, God, stir it up in me. Oh, God, I want to be a man of prayer. Oh, God, I want to be a man of faith. Oh, God, I want to be a man of purity. God, you can use somebody like that. That's what you were like, Jesus. I want to be that way, God. Oh, Jesus. God, put it in my heart. Put it in my heart. Lord, don't let me obey rules, but let me have the right desires. God, don't let me just follow a law. But somehow put the passion in my spirit to please you. In the name of Jesus Christ, hallelujah, give me a desire to live for you. Give me a desire to serve you. Give me a desire to eschew evil. Give me a desire to look away from things that are destructive to my mind. Give me a desire, Lord Jesus, to put down things that are captivator of my time and energy that takes me away from the things of God. In the name of Jesus, give me the passion. Give me the motivation. Give me the desire. Let me understand it's not for my salvation. It's not to be delivered from a guilt trip, but God, you got something for me over there. Somebody, you've been wanting to win a soul. God's laid it on your heart to win a soul. I'm giving you the key right now. And somebody's going to win a soul in the next four months. You've been wanting to win a soul for a long time. And God's going to empower you through your connections, through your spiritual discipline, through your walk with God. God is going to empower you to do what you've been wanting to do. In the name of the Lord, thank Him for it right now. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands all over this place and let's begin to give thanks to the Lord. Hallelujah. Because that's what it boils down to. Thank you, Jesus. I'm saved. I'm saved today. Not because I'm a perfect person, but I'm saved because your blood was perfect. I'm not saved because of how good I am, but I'm saved because of how loving you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let the Spirit pray through you right now. Come on, if you got the Holy Ghost, let it pray through you for just a second right now. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come on, pray in the Spirit. You edify yourself. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Oh, God, I want to walk before you in purity and holiness. Lord, let me die every day to the old nature and wake up, Lord God, and walk after the Spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, God, I want a ministry. Hallelujah. God, I want power. I want anointing in my life. In the name of Jesus. Shiva Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm talking about no more guilt trip. Talking about no more condemnation because you understand I'm not saved by my obedience to the law. And I'm not saved by my conduct. I'm saved by Jesus' grace and love. And I'm not walking in condemnation because I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, but I'm walking in the Spirit. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. See, sometimes we just need a reminder, don't we? 
Hallelujah. Sometimes we just need a wake-up call. Amen. Hallelujah. My purpose for being on the earth is to love and serve Jesus and let his spirit anointing. My, my purpose is not to uh, have a great portfolio of finance. My, my purpose is not just to be here and, and build a business. My purpose is not just to get some accomplishments, but to do what God's called me to do. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. And uh, hopefully the word of God has been an encouragement to you. And uh, God bless you. And we'll see you Sunday. We're going to have a great time with Brother Burton. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.